Seattle. My name is Matthew Kroll. And we've emulsified locally sourced scallops encased in a flash frozen seawater robe blend on a bit of foraged huckleberry foam, all bathed in a smoke from Douglas Fir Cones. My name is Shahir Dowd. Wow. And this <laughs> is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Pig. Wow, Shahir. I that- really. I missed my calling, didn't I? That, why, I <laughs> why don't you describe to me all of the specials at all uh, times? Well, one of the specials that we have on this particular episode is that I am very pleased that we are joined by the restaurant editor for Eater.com, a lover of houseplants, uh, Hillary Dixler Canavan. How are you, Hillary? I'm good. How are you? Very well. I, I have to say, I did find uh, a bio for you online, and I was I was I loved reading it, including some of your work history. So this is going to feel like a little bit of a job interview to begin with. Okay. I'm going to try and get through it as quickly as we can. But <laughs> okay. <laughs> but just here to make it really comfortable for our guests. By the way, you guesting on our podcast will be like a job interview. Okay. Um, I'm ready. I'm a great you- interview. <laughs> But you are the restaurant editor at Eater.com. Can you tell me a little bit about what your job entails over at Eater.com? Because the crossover has been that I found in my world is that you write a lot about this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So my job at Eater, uh, I oversee our coverage of the national restaurant scene. So I edit, write, assign stories about restaurants across the country Um, I lead our best new restaurants list, our um, Eater New Guard, our Young Talent Awards program. Um, But I also will always blog a blog. And (laughs) what happened with Pig um, is that the trailer dropped like on a Friday afternoon. It was like coming up to the end of the day. I watched the trailer. I knew we had to blog it. I put it up on the site. And it just was so immediately obvious to me that... I was going to flood the zone. On <laughs> um, and like when you flood the zone, it means there's no part of the story that's too small. Everything about the story matters. You flood the zone. There's never enough pig content. Um, and so I followed my obsession and I put a lot of pig on the site. <laughs> you, I, 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 it's funny. If you go to eater.com and you search pig, it's just article after article in, in, in immaculate detail about it, everything to do with this movie, including the truffle scene, the Portland restaurant scene, uh, a round table with all the editors, the names yep. of the pig. Um, I, was, I was delighted because I, uh, I think the crossover between things that I really love uh, talking about is food and movies. So it was like just this one-stop shop for me, which I was very excited about. Um, do movies kind of come up often at, uh, at yeah. Eater.com? Yeah, definitely. We cover, um, we really look at food. We really look at food as a way into looking at culture and that includes pop culture. And I would say like in the last 20 years, um, the importance of food and restaurants to pop culture, both pop culture media, but also the culture of how we interact with the world has just increased and increased in America. Um, so yeah, we pay, Eater pays attention to, to food television, to movies, to books, to, you know, things you might not think of as food movies or food television. Um, and, you know, Eater is also, uh, we are really into letting our writers and editors, um, like follow their interests and mm. follow their obsessions. So when your restaurant editor gets obsessed with pig. <laughs> I mean, there you go. That's when, that's when the zone <laughs> truly does, as you put it, get flooded. Absolutely. Um, 
So I, I guess one of my questions would be, um, wh when we have folks on this show, we tend to try to get a, a feel of their cinematic uh, tastes or landscape of, of film that they enjoy. Uh, and I know we're going to be talking specifically about food movies in, in a moment. But, and these might cross over, uh, but rather than like a favorite film or anything like that, what, what type of genres do you generally gravitate toward when you're just either, you know, I mean, looking for something for enjoyment or, or something even outside of work? Yeah, so... My favorite movies are Hitchcock movies. Um, oh, brilliant. <laughs> I, my favorites are Rear Window, Vertigo, Vertigo and um, Notorious. Oh, nice. God. Good, and... good glass of milk in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, and yeah, I'd say when it, for me, like my favorite movies, I like really tight, really well paced movies. So I think that's part of why Hitchcock appeals and thrillers in general. I love a good courtroom drama. I love A Few Good Men. Yeah. Um, nice. <laughs> and yeah, of my favorite food movies, um, you know, we can talk about that in a minute. I'm not sure that any of them are like in my top five, but like maybe in my top 20. Sure. Right. Yeah. I, I thought it might be fun for us to maybe uh, intro the conversation around Pig to discuss food and movies, because I think that was the crossover that I saw in Eater that got yeah. me really excited. Uh, I think a couple of years ago, I remember writing um a couple of uh, blog articles about um food and movies and food um and generally like the experience of eating in new york city since i moved to new york city um and it got me thinking about like what i love in the way food is represented on screen and you know there there are some examples that i think we all know about and and, and i saw on both of your lists uh, are probably going to cross over in terms of like Touchpoint movies in terms of uh, food and cinema, but I'm curious. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe Matt, do you want to open that with a with like, I mean, what do you? It's it seems like such a niche topic. You know, we've talked we we've talked about space movies on this podcast. We've talked about fashion and films in this podcast. Uh, I think at some point we've talked about animals and films on this podcast. We I'm did. curious yeah. about food in films. Is is that a topic that that you think about or have thought about or considered in the past? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because, um, and I mean, I, I, I think uh, Hillary and actually Shahir, you as well, could probably speak to this uh, truly, but like, there are very few, in our, in our mortal realm, there are very few absolutes. Okay. And the act of eating and the act of sort of enjoying food is one of the most, I think, human uh, experiences that everyone can relate to in one way or another. There's a few other ones uh, that are a little more either saucy or gross that we don't have to get into. Um, so when we're talking about this sort of thing, obviously it's going to come up in movies and um, Hillary, I, I, I glanced at your list uh, right after writing my list and I shit you not. Your your three that we'll sort of talk about were my three. Uh, I'm curious about your 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 order of them, but like uh, one that always comes to mind for me, uh, even back and it was on your list as well. She here, I don't know where you stand on it. Is actually ratatouille, which is odd because there's no real food in that thing. Uh, but it does a damn good job at doing sort of representation of not only, uh, you know, the, the look and the feel and what food would feel like in that universe, but also sort of the way that we interact with it as, as human beings, even though it was, uh, you know, animated animals. Um, I guess, uh, Hillary, what, what about Ratatouille, uh, sort of, uh, 
call, calls to you in that regard or, or in general, really? Yeah. So I think there's two, two key things to note about Ratatouille. Um, I think thing one is that it's pretty accurate to how um, like French Brigade restaurant kitchens mm. operate. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like pleasure in its accuracy. Um, and there's also like wonderful stories to be told about the workplace and all of that. So as a restaurant movie, I enjoy that there's like a realness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I think Ratatouille does that's really special is it uses the fact of it being a visual medium to illustrate something which is not visual, which is the experience of tasting food. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene where Remy is eating the different flavor combinations and like little fireworks are going off and there's like jazz, you know, riff, like <laughs> riffs playing as he experiences different tastes and like combines different flavors together. I think that's like a really effective portrayal of good food experiencing, you know, yeah. where it's like, Yes, it is like this. Um, And I think to that end, I think that it's a movie that can encourage the viewer to maybe think about what they're about to eat next. Um, And I like that. Yeah. Yeah, when we were were working on a project a few years ago, um, I think the phenomenon that's in Ratatouille that that you're talking about is called synesthesia. Yes. Which is the when when, uh, Remy is kind of imagining... Uh, what the flavors uh, feel like, and they and they they're visualized through these sort of like beautiful animated strokes. And he talks about like hints of nuts, and you know, as he's eating a piece of cheese or something like that, or the taste of butter or something like that. And it's this sort of yeah, that that. And I think the pro- the thing with film is that it needs to kind of engage in that in that area of synesthesia, which is how do we visualize what taste is, which is a sense that film cannot replicate. Um, and it's a, it really does do that beautifully. And then I think even more than that is the, uh, the critics uh, reaction to the Ratatouille at the end is such a pure moment of cinematic joy. You know, like it, it, because it like zooms into his eye as he tastes the Ratatouille and suddenly he's a child, um, you know, um, with a, with a, uh, scraped knee and his mother provide you know gives him ratatouille to, to comfort him at home and uh, it's just such a be- that movie is really top tier Pixar that I think a lot of people maybe don't think about as top tier Pixar you know we sort of think about the Toy Stories and, and um, Finding Nemo but Ratatouille is really up there yeah and I think one thing I always think about with Ratatouille is like as someone who <laughs> I'm not a critic but I <laughs> engage in like <laughs> criticism adjacent work yeah and ratatouille definitely is a pro critic movie it really Mm -hmm. suggests that critics know what they're talking about that criticism has value um that yeah i i think if you're a critic there's a lot to like see like positively (laughs) reflected about yourself in that movie so i'm always like well do i just like it because it makes me feel good (laughs) um (laughs) But I also think, like, Anton Ego is, like, one of the great oh, yeah. non-villain villains. Right. Yeah. He's, a, he's all amazing. Of cartoon cinema. Yeah. He's, in, he's really phenomenal because he also, in that moment, we real, he's, he comes across as the villain, but in that moment, he becomes a human being and becomes uh, 
uh, Remy's uh, partner in crime by the end of the film, which is which is pretty amazing. That again, that movie because I, I think the story is Brad Bird was brought into that movie really late in production as well, hmm. so he had to turn that whole production around, as far as I understand it. Um, and for that film to come together as well as it does is kind of extraordinary. Um, uh, Matt, any others that that? You well, I don't want to keep. About? I don't want to keep taking taking mm-hmm. Hillary's thunder here. Well, what, I think what? you guys could just. I mean, I can just call them out because they are the same. The next one, weirdly enough, was a film I had not seen until uh, last year, honestly, uh, was Julie and Julia, Mm. um, which was such a lovely surprise for me. Like, I'd kind of, I'd heard the name before and I understood the premise, but I did not know, like, I did not go into, like, I was with uh, my my better half, Jamie, and she loves that movie, and I was like, oh, yeah, let's let's go. And I was not ready to enjoy that film as much as I did. Um, I'm I'm a sucker for a a, a, a biopic. Biopic? Biopic? I do them back and forth. We've we've had this conversation. (laughs) Um, So that was, it's sort of like a half combo of that, and I've always really enjoyed it. Um, And it felt... And, and I'll, you know, uh, Julia Child was sort of a thing that uh, in my household, my family used her cookbooks. And so I was familiar, at least in like, ah, yes, I understood that reference. I know who this person is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was always lovely for me. But was there anything specifically in that movie as well for either of you that uh, that sort of resonated beyond beyond that? Um, yeah. So for me, Julia and Julia, and Julia is one that I like have to like begrudgingly admit is a favorite <laughs> I think uh, like a lot of the internet I like crave the Julia cut mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I've seen that movie a lot if it's on I always watch it um, and I think what Julia and Julia does so well is sort of tease out the pleasures to be had in cooking and eating yeah and Like, that's, like, I know, I think Amy Adams does a great job in that movie. It's, like, not her fault that her character is, like, unlikable. Yeah. (laughs) But I think a lot of her character's cooking scenes are, like, deeply and intensely relatable. Like, you can love cooking and it can still, like, fuck you over so bad when something goes (laughs) wrong. And um, I think the Julia half is just, that's, that's, like, pure movie magic. Yeah. You know, it's Meryl Streep, it's Stanley Tucci there in Paris. The food is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, the the journey that she's on, I think is also intensely relatable. Like the mm-hmm. idea that she's this late bloomer and she's lost in her life. And then, you know, finds her path to happiness, like through this passion that she discovers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like not my favorite Nora Ephron movie, you know. Right, 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 right. Uh, well, and then speaking, speaking of, of the Tooch, um, yeah. <laughs> the film, film, uh, that has to do with the act of creating, serving and eating, uh, we would be remiss if not to, uh, talk about big night, which is so fucking good. That movie is a delight through and through. I feel like I notice something new every time I watch it. Uh, it, it fe- and again, I have never, uh, I have never uh, worked in the industry, nor have I ever uh, reviewed food in any way. But that was such that movie to me 
is one of those moments where, like, when you watch something in cinema and you know that your life has absolutely sort of nothing to do with exactly what's going on, but you feel like it's doing a incredibly accurate and real job, not only of, like, the the, the moment-to-moment what sort of happens, but the emotional resonance that characters or actual people in those scenarios would be having, it transfers that to you. Big Night is... is it's such a small movie, but it's absolutely not, and mm. uh, I cannot get over... Uh, how effective both both the the familiar relationships are the trying to run the restaurant and keep it going the caring for food versus doing the other things you have to do it's it's by far my absolute favorite i mean of course second only to the best uh uh, food movie which would be harold and kumar go to white castle um (laughs) but no no in all seriousness what uh actually so hillary i know you it's one of your favorites as well uh what what else about that sort of uh strikes you as 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 super special yeah, so for me, Big Night is the best restaurant movie. Right. Mm. Um, like, specifically, we're talking about food in a restaurant context. It's like the agony and the ecstasy of running a restaurant. Um, and there's so, it's, it's, there, it's so rich. It's like waiting for Godot. It's like these brothers and their relationship. And I think actually very relevant to the conversation I think we're about to have about Pig But I think Big Night really effectively tackles the idea that art and creativity are high-stakes endeavors, Mm. that um, fulfilling your artistic vision is important, and it's hard, and when it doesn't happen, it hurts. Um, But the thing about restaurants is that when your artistic vision fails, there goes your business and your livelihood and the way you can literally put food on your table to eat to keep you alive. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think... Big Night does a really good job um, in balancing the idea that this is very high stakes, even though to some people it might seem silly. But like by the end of the dinner, like nobody thinks it's silly. It's yeah. wonderful. It's art. And it's it's a communal experience that they share. Um, yeah, I love Big Night. That one is like uh, probably like also one of my favorite movies. Not yeah. Just yeah. as a food movie. <laughs> <laughs> I've um I have a friend of mine uh who's been on this uh podcast before Brendan McCarthy uh who we always talk about making the is it the timpani or the timpani I I, I can't timpani timpani I we we always talk about like making a day of trying to make that and watching the movie at the end of the night as well um I suspect it's incredibly difficult to make well uh, I, I don't know how well that dish comes together unless you really know what you're doing. Um, so I, I've never been sure. But it, and what I, 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 my favorite scene in that movie, by the way, I have not seen Julia and Julia. Really? Um, no, I have not seen it. Uh, oh. I should put it down on the list of uh, one to watch. Um, you should watch it on an airplane. It's like yeah. a perfect it's, it's airplane It's a perfect movie. airplane movie, yeah. The, the less oxygen in your system, the more you will enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, uh, the scene in uh, Big Night that I love is the end when they're making eggs. It's, I just love this, like, they sit together. I think he, I like, Stanley Tucci puts his arm on, his, on Tony Shalab's shoulder as they're eating the eggs, and, and that's the end of the movie. And it's just this beautiful thing where it's like, okay, we've just been through so much trying to make the perfect dish, trying to do everything that we can do, and really what just makes us happy at the end of the day is just sitting here eating some eggs. And I just, I, there's something about that that I just love in that movie. Um, for me, I... Uh, I, and this is what I wrote about a, a couple of years ago. I realized that obviously, like a lot of people, cooking has to do with their mother in some way. It has to do with the relationship that you have with your mother. If, 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 
if, if it happens to be the case that your mother was the primary person who cooked the cooked uh, meals at the house as it was for me and um uh the movie that i have not revisited but i recall as a child um being uh, introduced to and falling in love with the idea of food and movies uh, was Babette's Feast, uh, which is a movie that came out in 1987. It won, uh, I think, the Best Foreign Film Oscar. And we were, we were living in Fiji at the time. And I just remember, I, so 1987, I would have been eight years old. Um, my mother was just like, we have to watch this movie. Everyone in the house, we have to sit down and we're going to watch this movie. And, and we did. And I just, I, I think I remember just how much that movie meant to her um, because it was about a woman uh, uh, who was serving her family and like creating this sort of extravagant meal. And, and it's really about a woman who kind of sacrifices um, her external happiness or, ex you know, like the ex external pleasures of life to cook for other people and that's and that's really what she loves and i remember my mother kind of telling me this story and because my mother is an extraordinary cook she's she's you know it's it's that thing where uh, i think you know in goodwill hunting they talk about it's like seeing beethoven play the piano it, it's just like it's pretty natural uh she has recipes but when she gets into a kitchen it's like you know, it, it's it, like Beethoven playing the piano. It's just everything is everywhere, and she's got a she's got a complete. Hand. It looks like chaos, but she knows what she's doing. And um, and, and I remember asking. I, I can't remember how the conversation came up, but but like I asked her once, you know, like why she loved cooking, and she because she she actually started cooking very a, a little bit later in life after became she became a mother. She wasn't. She said I never really cooked before that, and she said the reason I love cooking is I like to watch your dad eat. And I was like, and it was just like the strangest thing. I'd never, ever thought of it that way. But she was like, I just like watching him eat. Uh, and so I always just cook things so that he will eat them and he'll be happy. And I was like, oh, wow. And then she goes, and it's the same with you. You know, I just like watching you guys eat. Um, and, and that movie, Babette's Feast, I, I just remember, you know, how important it was for her that we all watched this movie because it was so, you know, like that, that act of cooking in the household was so important to her. Um, and and then you know there's I I did a Twitter um, um, uh, a Twitter thread uh, with a bunch of movies uh, that I love about cooking or you know movies that I love that have that feature food and you know uh, Goodfellas the 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 the, the razor thin um, garlic slices are, is in there Ratatouille's in there um, Eat Drink Man Woman is in there the five dollar milkshake from Pulp Fiction is there I think Quentin Tarantino has a real obsession with food in his movies and uh, Apple Str is it Apple Strudel in uh, Inglorious Bastards is kind of a big thing as oh well. yeah with the with the uh, like the whipped cream topping yeah with the, mm -hmm. yeah exactly oh, you know, looks like, so good it's and it, it, I, I think that's what I. I think what I'm drawn to whenever cooking is represented in movies is like seeing the little details that people really pay attention to. So it's like the razor thin, you know, cutting the garlic with a razor blade and then watching it and then saying, well, it's because it liquefies. And it's like these little details that movies can kind of explore and get into. Um, and then there's the more sort of grotesque ones, you know, like I think about, um, I, I remember for some reason this was a big deal at our house, um, but in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom when they go to India and... Um, uh, there's a thing where they go to the village for the first time and uh, I can't remember the woman's name, but she's given like a plate of food on a, on a banana leaf. Miriam. Miriam. Was Miriam in the sequel? I, d I don't think Miriam was in the was sequel. It? Oh, Miriam's in one and three. Sorry. I'm yeah, getting yeah, confused. Yeah. I, I can't recall. Oh, oh, I'll, f I, yeah, I'll remember, but continue. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, like Indy, uh, Indy says something along the lines of this is more food 
than this family will have in a month. And, and, you know, and I, I just, I, I've only seen that film a couple of times, but that, that line just stuck with me. And then there's that sort of famous scene where they're around the dinner table and all the Maharajas are eating like monkey brains and eyeball soup. And, you know, like it was, as a kid, I was like, I got a real kick out Snake of Snake surprise. Also, her name was Willie. That's why I Willie, was getting that's confused. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's lots, uh, there's lots to talk about. Uh, I think Matt, um, Jamie and I have been talking about doing uh, a screening of The Cook, The Thief, her wife, uh, His Wife and Her Lover. Oh, yeah. Which features uh, one of the most grotesque food scenes I think I've ever seen in a movie. Um, but is oh my, an, oh my gosh. an Side absolute note. genius piece of movie. Uh, movie Side like, note, like, I just thought of this and I'm so sorry. This is a different way to experience food in a movie. And it's not about food, but it, there's a whole lot of food in it. It's one of my favorite films from either last year or the year before. Hillary, did you see... The platform. Nope. <laughs> oh boy, you want a different relationship with food? It's a Netflix uh, distributed film. Uh, where was it? For? Was it? For, was it Spanish? Shahir? I can't remember. It was a remember. Spanish, yeah, Spanish film. Uh, it, I, I, it's, it's, it's true horror, no question. Uh, but it is not going to be in the way that you think. Just, it just if read some reviews or know what you're getting into. But it is, it's like the polar opposite of all the good feels we're having. <laughs> in this sort of thing again it's a preternatural force food does affect us in all of these different ways uh and so it can be uh loving like all of the examples we've given or it can really can really uh punch in the feels uh all over the place with sort of other scenes like in the platform but speaking of the feels i think at this point we should probably start talking about the notorious pig um <laughs> So IMDb says that Pig is a truffle hunter who lives alone in the Oregon and Oregonian, 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 huh? <laughs> Oregonian wilderness <laughs> must return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved foraging pig after she is kidnapped. That is true. That is that is a true statement and also one that I didn't read before watching this movie. I actually didn't even watch the trailer. I don't yeah. normally do that, but normally with Nick Cage movies, they're so off the wall, I'll just be like, you know what, let's go. <laughs> um, I, just sort of kicking us off here, uh, did not know this movie was going to go this way. I, I, I knew it was about his pig. I figured it was a pig that was helping him with something. Truffle pig makes sense. Uh, but I did not know that it was going to go to all of the places that it did and turn into a bit of a, uh, for lack of a better term, an art house John Wick mm. uh, in, in, in certain regards. Um, it, it was one of those films that took sort of its act turns really sharply, but I was always so interested that it kept me on board. Um, and... To be honest, it's weird. I didn't, at the time, personally, think about the food much in this movie. It was very much like his job, and then he left it and went to go live in the woods, and all the other stuff happens, etc. And and the truffle pig was his way of making money and just sort of living out based on whatever tragedy had happened in his life. Um, I I really gravitated towards. I am uh, listeners of this show will be of no surprise. Uh, and Hillary can see the stuffed animal uh, to, to my right. But I have uh, a cat named Zoe, and I have had pets all of my entire life, and I am a animal person. And uh, 
one of the most horrible things. Again, I bring up John Wick, the things that happened in that movie. One of the most horrible things that can happen to a human being is the, is the loss of a pet. And this whole movie being this sort of revenge saga for someone taking not only this man's livelihood, but uh, really his best friend that was sort of left uh was that that was the that was the side of this that i gravitated towards and then when the movie took the turns especially in act three with the cooking scene which you uh wrote so much about hillary in in your articles um then it's sort of like oh we're here now i was like oh okay i wrote in my notes oh so the boss battle is a is a cooking challenge like and that to me is so interesting in in a film like this where i definitely expected it once like act one was happening i was like oh this is gonna turn hyper violent nick cage is just gonna go ham until you realize he's not like well he's kind of an underground ring fighter but he's also not and then uh you know he goes more toward the the chef side of things so it was a real roller coaster for me i i still am sort of on the fence on how much like I like super enjoyed it. I really was engaged with it while it was happening. And its emotional swings did hit me right square in the face. But there was always something a little bit, I felt like the movie was keeping at arm's length for me. And I don't know if that's just Nick Cage being Nick Cage. I don't know if it was sort of a bit of the over-the-topness from the other characters. I, I don't know what it was. But when the movie hit, it did really hit. Um, I don't know. Who, who, who wants to go next? Hillary, would you like to, to jump in? Uh, Sure. Um, I think for me, I love that this movie exists. I love it as a thing to write about and to think about and to chew over. Um, I think this movie did not live up to its potential. Mm -hmm. Um, and for me, my favorite parts of this movie are the parts that are very weird and very (laughs) surreal. The idea that underneath the city is a you know, a a fight club of restaurant workers lit by decrepit chandeliers. You know, it's just like surreal, gothic. Yeah, it was just luscious and weird. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the then, you know, in the next kind of location, it's like a Portlandia sketch and we're making fun of yeah. fine dining. <laughs> and I thought that scene also was very effective and very funny. Um, but yeah, I think I felt like the movie was like afraid to commit to the mm. most interesting thing it did, mm, right. um, which was the imaginary things like the, the world it tried to create. Um, and it sort of retreated into sentimentality which yeah. i don't find particularly interesting yeah mm. um and i think um one thing that's interesting um you were talking about how with um with food movies you love when they like relish in the details that food mm. can bring you and i think for food writers like we do too mm. you know it's a wonderful way into the details of someone's life or experience and detail is where pig fails up and down when it yeah. comes mm. to food and restaurants um, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily like want to nitpick all the things <laughs> they got wrong. I don't think that's very interesting, but I do think that the fact like that, yeah, like it doesn't surprise me that the food part didn't grab you because it wasn't correct. No, right. it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So for me, this was an interesting one because I think we've had the conversation on this podcast before about, um, uh, I guess, about absolutism in terms of the way we think about a film. And I'm thinking now about Anton Ego and in, uh, in, in Ratatouille in terms of the conversation of what the critic's role is in discussing a film. And part of me lands on this sort of interesting point with this movie, which is that it is both amazing and quite possibly one of my favorite movies of the year and also in equal parts terrible and yeah. um and there's a sort of interesting dichotomy to that because i think by saying there are equal parts that are terrible does not negate that i did love the experience of watching this movie and i think what happened is is that this movie um as you say, it begins as a sort of um, old man in the woods kind of tale of, of you know, sort of almost a Thoreau, Henry David Thoreau-like existence where a man is kind of re entirely retreated from the past uh, or retre retreated from the world. And you almost, you're almost sort of um, uh, surprised when technology makes its way into this film and you realize that this is set today. Um, you know, like the, the first time you see a cassette player, you're like, oh, where, what period of time are we in? And then a vehicle turns up and it's a person with a CD player and a cell phone and you realize, oh, we're today. And this is, what I love about that is that I think um, Michael Savarnsky, who, um, uh, Michael Sonarski and Vanessa Block, who wrote this, and uh, Michael Sonarski directed it, do an incredible job in those first 10 minutes of setting atmosphere. I think this movie is so well considered in terms of setting the atmosphere of the world that we're about, that, that this character inhabits. And that's coupled with a really restrained performance from Nicolas Cage, which I think for the first time in a long time really captures his energy in a really perfect way you know like I, I think there's a um you know we've seen movies where cage goes full cage unleashed and it's 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 a lot of fun but it's like it's it's almost too big for the screen and this is one where you really feel that he is committed to this performance and he's really committed to the sadness that this character has and like he wears it in his body he wears it in his face you know he really is committed to everything that this character is about and then uh, and i apologize this is sort of taking some time but i kind of want to set up this idea that of, of what works and what doesn't work for me in this movie and then you know there's an illusion which i i i love in your articles you kind of point to the fact that uh that chuck palinhuk is a portland writer and um the illusion to a fight club may have come from chuck palinhuk in some way but it, once the movie lands in that zone you're like where are we and what is this world and like it, it is there is that moment of of like John Wick entering the hotel where you're like oh there's this grander universe that I that this world is about to enter and I I think my understanding of that world by the way and, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong here is that waiters can beat up chefs is that correct because 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 Nicolas Cage's character goes to the board and writes his name on the board and that stops the room because because they all seem to know who he is and that he was a famous chef and people are putting down large sums of money so they can beat him up. Is is that is that kind of what happens in that scene? Maybe. I, like, yeah, maybe. Here's yeah. the thing. The rules are never... Uh, when Hillary brought it up and sort of said it was surreal, that was sort of the moment I was reeling from as well because like... 
okay, it's a fight club, but instead he gets beat up. And I was like, is he doing it to prove a point? Is he doing it to make money for that guy so he'll tell him the information? Is he doing it because it's this weird, like, oh, uh, you know, the staff can beat up the head chefs? Like, I don't <laughs> understand. Nor does it, nor does the movie really care enough to tell you. It just cares that you're kind of weirded out by it. And yeah. then, like, it's like a step two of a discovery project. And but then they don't even make it clear why he has to do the Fight Club to get the information about the pig. And yeah. they really, like, I there's, like, a lot of narrative holes like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. if you're really just trying to find this pig as a viewer, yeah, it's not clear how each step Yeah, Yeah, and, and what this step has to do. And, yeah, you're right, because he's already met the person outside. He gave him uh, who, uh, who, street food. He gave him truck food. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, is truck food the, the currency in this world? Is, like, going to, like, a food truck the currency that will get you information in this world? I the that John was Wick quite... gold coins is just, <laughs> yeah. like, fish and chips from the, the back of a truck. <laughs> but but then, yeah, so the, so we enter this this uh, this sort of strange, surreal, underground world of restaurateurs that we that, – that isn't quite explained and, and obviously fanciful in a sort of, you know, in the way that this movie constructs that world. And then we returned, and then that world, the sort of idea of this fanciful underground currency or underground world of chefs and cooking and the Portland restaurant scene um, gets even weirder when, when we find out that the middlemen that are involved in uh, providing food, you know, providing natural, um, you know, like truffles to restaurant are like gangsters or like really, you know, there's like this sort of territorial thing. And they're almost like Wall Street brokers in a way, which is that they have like fancy cars, big houses. They make a lot of money, you know, and it was like it and 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 it's part of those sort of that waning of the things that I loved about this movie starts like being impinged upon by the things that I I it's not so much that I don't like but I also I'm just not quite understanding in terms of like where the reality and where the fantasy of this world is but then then I think the thing that I love and this is a quote from Jonathan Romney from Sight and Sound magazine was that this is a movie that promises John Wick but delivers something closer to Ratatouille and that idea that you mentioned, Matt, where the final third really becomes not about his ability to inflict pain or to punish people or to engage in revenge, but is actually about his ability to conjure um, passions and memories through food. And I was like, that's beautiful. And I, and I, I kind of, I, I was struck by how lovely an idea that was. At the same time, I was also struck by how, like, I was not like um, Remy in Ratatouille. I was not struck by, is this guy a really great chef? Because he's making, he looks like he's making partridges and potato. And I was like, oh, oh a partridge and mushroom or pigeon and mushroom or something like that. And I was like, is that a, is that a food that that changes your life if you've ever had it? And I mean, it can be one, if you're that good. But But, you know, he looked like he was sort of basing it in a traditional sort of like, butter based butter and garlic based with thyme and i was like is that is that really special like am i, am I maybe i i don't understand uh how to cook pigeon but i was like is that really the the thing that really changes someone's world like and again the thing that i'm thinking about there is the ratatouille in ratatouille sure which which when you watch it you go wow that looks amazing and it looks like someone's really you know thought about this but i will say <laughs> it, it, in the in just sort of on that note 
I think that the meal itself, the 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 benignness or the not complexity of it itself doesn't really matter. It didn't strike me. I mean, honestly, some of the best food I've ever had has been quite simple. Right. Um, and again, that could just be to taste. That could be whatever. That isn't what threw me. What threw me was that ultimately, and again, now we're into full-blown spoiler territory. You know, we're 40-something minutes into this conversation, so I think people, it's safe. Uh, you find out that the pig didn't make it after because he gives up the information because the food's so good and then uh it sort of rolls to the end but what got me was like it all kind of was for nothing not that the not that the pig had to be like rescued in order for there to be an emotional catharsis like you kind of go through that but at the same time what you're kind of hoping is that even though his character has a huge tragedy like maybe his buddy amir something happens with or the father changes the ways or like there's some there's something that it, it that it all sort of even re- remotely mattered especially because they put so much onus on the food and the food changing the man's mind and giving the information but it doesn't do anything else so like i was just sort of left at the end of this just sort of being like well that was an hour and a half that i i it was interesting uh hmm. but like and i'm sad now but I, I guess, yeah. I guess this is like a key plot hole. This is like a key, key plot hole. Because he's like, says that he kidnapped the pig who died in transit uh, to keep his son out of the extremely dangerous Portland, Oregon truffle business. But then we'll, we'll give Nick Cage money to buy a new pig. Yeah. To presumably keep finding truffles that his son could just keep selling. <laughs> um, yeah, I want to just like touch on because that cooking scene really is the climax of the movie, and um, I think there's like a couple things, right? Like the simplicity of the food, even the what of the food, really doesn't matter because we know from the um, conversation that Nick and uh, that yeah. Robin and Amir have that like, it's not just the food and the wine, but the fact that going to the Robin's restaurant was literally the only time his mother and father were ever happy. Mm-hmm. So I think the idea is not that, yeah, like, oh my God, it's this dish changing my life. It's like these memories of happiness are right. changing my life. Um, and you're absolutely right. Memory is like a key theme through the movie. Like um, Nick Cage's character um, is says that he remembers every single dish he's yeah. ever cooked for every single person. Yeah. Um, a very Nick Cage line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I think the other thing, um, and this happens a lot. This is like, this happens a lot in cliched food writing, but simplicity does not always mean authenticity. In the yeah. same way that simplicity can be beautiful and um, deceptively complex and challenging. And I think um, uh, sort of I would say, like, I think given the talent and knowledge that we can assume Robin has as a chef, I'm sure his, you know, simple peasant food is like amazing and delicious. Um, yeah. But I think like the the movie like suggests that to engage in like high-minded technique or artistry in cooking is somehow inauthentic to the self which i don't think is true Mm. i i I think that can be true for some people and it's not true for others um and i think it's really boring 
like yeah. as a as yeah. an opinion about food. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. This idea that molecular gastronomy in this in as the way it's represented in here is inauthentic and what people really want. It's weird. I, I think you you touched upon this in one of your articles <laughs> was that he that he says the customers are fake as well. Right. And I was like, oh, that's a strange, you know, like that's an unusual line. I guess, I guess the thing that the movie is tapping into is this idea that Nicolas Cage uh, has, um, he's, he's haunted by memory, which is that he understands everything about the world and he understands everyone's motivations. And these are, and the loss of presumably his wife uh, at some point, which who is playing the, the music on the tape has uh, left him so bereaved that he retreats away from everything, um, you know, only to make mushroom tarts, uh, including his, his daughter? Question mark. Yeah. Well, Wait, was what? there a daughter? The woman. Yeah, I, I miss the, that. The yeah, woman who he goes to see at the at the diner. No, that's the baker. Different? That's the baker. That's the so baker. I think she worked with him. She worked she with worked him, with and him. that's and the that space that, that yeah. Hestia, the restaurant, used to yeah. be in. And then yeah. he gets there and is like, oh, you put up the curtains that my dead wife always said we should have. And that's like literally one of the only way. things we know about her I, is that I, she suggested they have curtains. I was so confused at their relationship. I just looked at the age difference and I was like, oh, daughter, maybe he <laughs> left by? No, you can't even no. see her face because this is like yeah. one of my huge problems with this movie is that the most important women are dead in a coma or like obscured and you didn't even know who she was. Yeah, there's the a trope. lot of men talking about the this meaning is, of art and life in this movie. Yeah, 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 the classic trope of revenge of all revenge films is the dead wife. You know, like the the dead wife that we never see or really get to know or anything like that. But yeah, this is and, and this movie uh piddles in that same in that same trope. Uh, I I did really want to try that salted baguette though. I was really interested in the salted baguette and the cookies that she had uh, when he was like, "May I have another?" But like, what uh, is a salted baguette? <laughs> I'm guessing it's a like, baguette with salt on it. <laughs> right, but like all baguettes are made with salt. But like, I'm guessing so, like, but like sprinkled that to me with... is like, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure like it's like sprinkles flaky sea salt on top or something. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. This is just one of those things to me where it's like. <laughs> so much attention is spent yeah. that talking about that phrase they um in this movie like at the act breaks the acts are titled yeah, by the, with the menu items with yeah. the menu and like you see it on the screen there's like yeah. a lot of time to think about each of these mm. you know foods yeah. and they don't and you, and you don't know. get it. no but, yeah. but but at the same time i did I did find the idea. I, there was two things. One is that I found I did like the idea that f- that that cooking was his um, was his art. I agree with you that I think the film kind of engages in this authenticity versus inauthenticity idea. And and for for being what is ostensibly as Matt as you described it, an arty John Wick, that is an idea that this that could be leveled at this movie in terms of uh, uh, in terms of like what is authentic versus inauthentic in this in this particular case. Um, and but I did like the this idea that that loss of the pig has already happened and there's nothing he can do to stop it. And and that he is there. There is nothing for him here. And he just walks back into the woods. I, I actually did kind of like that. And he finds the courage in himself to play the tape one more time. And it's Bruce Springsteen's I'm on fire, which I did listen to while I was cycling this week because of this movie. Um, and and I, I there was. There was that thing, which is the atmosphere of the beginning, and the and the the sort of the way the movie turned towards the end. I really did think was surprising and striking. I was, I was, I was not put off by the sort of flights of fancy that this that this film has about the 
uh, about both the the world of cooking and the world of chefs and the world of of the Portland restaurant scene and you know uh, chef fight clubs. I was not put off by that stuff, but I did find it um, confusing and and more perplexing as a choice. I think I think th- that that was the thing though. I as a as a first time film, I was kind of like more on the side of. I like the choices, even if I don't think some of them work. Here's here's something. It feels the more I think about this film, and the more I we, we're talking about it, the more it feels like a magic trick you kind of figure out. Hmm. Like like I really like that. Oh wow, that's crazy. Wait. Oh, I did see the two over there. Oh okay, and it just starts feeling more and more kind of like. Oh yeah, like I see how no pun intended the sausages made, or even I mean this this might be the 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 best compliment or the worst uh, maligning I could say of this film, depending on your perspective. But this movie lives and dies on the tropes that it just beats to death. Like, and, and listen, I love the MCU. I am the trope King. I, I am tropes all day, every day, etc. But there's something about in this movie where like, once you've kind of realized it's like tropes all the way down and always has been, you're kind of just like, Eh, because nothing, nothing really, nothing untropy matters. Like what I was hoping, and 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 Hillary, you you hit the nail on the head here. That it wasn't the style of food or what it was, etc. It was unlocking the memory that this man had eating with his wife. What happy moment based on a story he heard from his son. Yada yada yada. There's also a side plot about the mother who's still in a coma and the husband won't let her die. And I was hoping, I was hoping that at the end of this movie, like that at least would be like some moment of catharsis that like that would then happen because he had this realization, but instead we never see him again. And we just go back to Nicholas Cage's sadness, listening to Bruce Springsteen, which again, sad dad rock also super tropey. So like, I just, I didn't, I couldn't gravitate towards it beyond a, in the moment, like I am very sad. You made me sad. Movie, good job, movie. I had a good hour and a half. This was fine. I, but I, I the more I think about it, the kind of more ang- not angry. The just more I'm like, eh. like I just sort of like fall to that side of it. Um, See, this is like why I think the movie is very cowardly, hmm. because I think, I think that it's it really shies away from doing the harder thing, which is being imaginative, Mm. you know, and going full tilt metaphor. You Mm. know, I don't understand why it is so explicit and about being in Portland and then gets Portland so wrong, just so wrong. (laughs) I don't understand. And I think that makes it harder for me as someone who's dined a lot in Portland and who uh, knows a lot about restaurants. I've worked in them. I write about them, you know, to set it in the restaurant world. I feel like if it was a man in the woods goes back into the big city, any city, who knows where, it doesn't matter where, and is dealing with this dining culture, then we can use, you know, restaurants and food as the metaphor for like art, creativity, uh, creation that they're clearly trying to use it for but like they keep trying to bring it back to earth into portland mm. and i don't I, I think to no effect right. you know to, to just literally no effect this is not portland there's no world in which that tasting menu restaurant succeeds but his like <laughs> pub doesn't yeah, pub food yeah and like, portland like nobody wants pub, pub food here in portland <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know and i just it also made me think about um 
did you see the movie Leave No Trace? Yeah, yes. I really, I, I actually put in my notes here to, to talk about Leave No Trace because I think I, it, it does ring to the same sort of, uh, the, the, the sort of isolationist idea. Yeah, and like think about how the woods themselves are a character in that mm. in that movie. And like, I think the the woods in Pig are beautiful. And I think mm. you're right; they set an amazing tone. It's like visually very rich. I mean, the movie is like very dark, very blue. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Leave No Trace, you know, like the relationship that the dad has with the woods is like alive, and yeah. it's enriching and like complex and it doesn't you I think we learn in that movie that they're in Oregon and that they're near Portland like I remember that Mm -hmm. yeah but it doesn't matter it's like the woods the town and the city and I think that would have been much more effective um for pig at least for people who are at all familiar with yeah. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. It's the, the mileage always sort of shifts, especially when a movie's trying to be hyper specific. And it's always an interesting balancing act. I find like what how how broad do you want your Venn diagrams to be and how much do you want people to basically be able to be like, what? This is not correct. Like there's ways to mitigate and sort of get across things. But there, you're right. It is very strange. Not not that it's set in Portland and not that, you know, there's sort of the dichotomy there, but that. They're so adamant about Portland while, in your own words, sort of getting a lot of the stuff wrong. Like, it feels weird to sort of harp on something if you're not doing the research. Like, unless, unless, uh, is the writer from Portland? Like, do they just like Portland? You you actually talked to some of the sh- uh, the chefs that consulted on the show as well uh, on the movie as well, right? Yeah, I talked to Gabe Rucker, who um, he's one of the most recognized, most um, acclaimed chefs in Portland. His restaurant is called uh, Le Pigeon, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, he designed that um, Act Three dish mm. um, and like taught Nick Cage how to cook it. And he actually had a really good perspective. I think um, he hadn't seen the movie yet when we talked. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but just about like that, he wasn't expecting this movie to accurately represent Portland restaurants or cooking, that that's not like yeah. film's job, which I totally agree with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just do think it's really odd to like have Nick Cage like do a whole monologue that's like rehashing that great New Yorker article, yeah, the, yeah, um, the big the four, one, the yeah. or the really big one, I think is yeah. the article, <laughs> yeah. about like the earthquake tsunami. Yeah. And like... And then, like, I, who, why, you know? So, so I think what we're, we're sort of all talking about here, and, and I, I think in terms of this, the, where this equation kind of lands in terms of, um, uh, you know, like thinking back to <laughs> um, Ratatouille in some way or the critic in Ratatouille, is that I still want to champion this film because while I do agree with everything you're saying, I also think this film, like if we were visiting a restaurant, um, and we were uh, tasked with, with reviewing that restaurant or discussing that restaurant. I think it demonstrates enough promising in enough areas that I think that the, the places where it falters, again, were not deal breakers for me, but moments of confusion as to what the intention was. But I was always on the side of whomever is making this has good intention and has intention that is... Um, you know, if we're getting into that sort of uh, question of authentic versus inauthentic, I think has intentions that are authentic as depicted by 
where this movie eventually decides that it's catharsis is which is in the relationship between food and memory and in the relationship and in the idea that that loss is sometimes impermeable and and that and that this is the reality with which Nicolas Cage will kind of or his character will, will have to live with and deal with and he walks back into the woods and plays that song and there's that sort of beautiful um, just a shimmer of light that comes in through the ceiling and it's and it's his moment and I, I, I do think again like like I said the the atmosphere of those first 10 minutes and the commitment to um, the commitment to the type of storytelling that's in here, you know, like I think really works. There are moments in here though, that do feel like someone has just read the article and transplanted it into the film, you know, like I, the, the line oddly for me, and this is just such a specific quirk for me because I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible, terrible cook. But the one thing I take really seriously is French toast. Um, like I'm just obsessed with French toast and I really, I like, I go out of my way to learn a lot about French toast and to think about how French toast is put together. And I, I try a lot of things with French toast. And when, when Nicolas Cage says, you should always use stale bread with, Nic with French toast, I was like, well, duh. You know, like that's French toast 101, man. And, and it was just like, it was like a weird, that was the one thing that like jumped out at me. But, but like at the same time, I, I did, you know, while, while we sort of talked about, you know, could this film be less specific about Portland, Oregon? I kind of, I, I like, in a weird way, I like the specific misfire, which is that I like that it was that they were trying for specificity and it felt like they were they were filling this world with sort of a tapestry that was based in some part on real things that they thought were interesting. Now, whether they land on it and whether the the sort of the deviations that that created the flights of fancy that that go beyond that like like the the chef fight club and um uh, you know like whether that works I, I i do think ultimately they don't really work but i kind of like the flavor of where this was all hitting and you know i i, I guess maybe it comes it also comes down to $3 million movie, first time filmmaker, you know, like those sorts of things. And sure, I was like, there's lots of points we can give it on that end. No, no, but I, but I think my, my point there has to do with, I think there's a lot of promise in this work that makes me go, okay, yes, there are some things that don't work here, but I also, I would be willing, you know, if I was a restaurant critic, I would be willing to go back and try again. You know what I mean? Sure. I totally agree. Yeah. I think this is a, a really... <laughs> I think it's unique, mm -hmm. and I think even though I totally agree it like plays on all these tropes, there's a lot in it that I can see referencing other movies and other mm. stories. I, it's still a unique, odd movie. It's yeah. strange and small, and I liked that it. I hadn't seen it before, yeah. you know, and I, I really liked that. I think um, what you were saying about the French toast <laughs> is like how I felt about every single time food or <laughs> yeah. cooking happened in the movie or anything with restaurants. Yeah. Um, so I do think, you know, because I felt really confused. Um, you know, the critics were raving and mm. I, I felt like me and my teammates, like we all just kind of didn't, <laughs> didn't totally buy it. And I think it's just like, we just are too close and spend too much time thinking about food and restaurants here's, to 
let it go. You know, here's something that I I, maybe because I am I am the polar opposite, but I feel like we still sort of had a similar reaction to it on the whole. This film, while again, we've all talked about it, does a lot of things sort of right. Again, I think the cinematography is gorgeous. I think Nick Cage brings something weird and special to it in a way that Nick Cage doesn't always do. Mm. Um, However, this movie feels like, and follow me down this rabbit hole before I, uh, as I sort of finish this sentence. <laughs> this movie feels like headlines. Headlines hmm. in articles or or in newspapers, etc., are very interesting. They get your eye. They get your attention. They get you there. Um, and a lot of people in our society, myself included, on my bad days, uh, read the headlines and think they know what's going on. Uh, hmm. Not without looking deeper into context, without looking whatever, and da da da. And then I've caught myself. This this is me calling myself out, but I think the movie's doing this too. I've caught myself in conversations where, in the middle of it, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But like, <laughs> oh no, I got these head. Like, I no, like because this, that, and the other thing, and da 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 da. And like, yeah, I, I I'm an authority. I I, I scrolled Reddit. Like mm-hmm. this movie felt like that level of like they they know their craft well enough they can make a really strong uh visual piece they know how to even get the best out of nick cage but the structure in which this is all built is all just sort of either tropey or headliney and and oh. therefore i couldn't i couldn't ever I, I i and i think somewhere in there i kind of saw through the cracks of it being like my 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 i don't know if it's bs meter but like just where they chose to focus what they thought was important from a story perspective always felt like, oh, we're going over here? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I guess we could. I mean, that seems pretty well-worn, but I mean, uh, okay. You, you did have this interesting thing over to the left. Do you not want to? No? Oh, oh, okay, mm-hmm. we're going back here. Dead wife. All right. Uh, so, like, there was just there was just that level of sort of crack I saw, which, again, in the moment, I felt the emotions. I was sad and angry and then sad again. Like, it did it. It got the thing from me. But uh, the more we're talking about it, the more I don't think I'll ever revisit this movie. Well, yeah, Sorry, I ahead. think... Oh, I just think... Um, that I think there's, like, a lot of this movie's circle... Or our conversation, I think, is circling around this idea of detail and which details matter and what do details do mm. when you're telling a story. And I think Pig chose the wrong details Mm. um i think they neglected the details of plot Mm. like in um it was interesting like i think the critics talk about like oh that you know you don't have they're not telling us everything it's so it's mysterious Mm. in a good way it's like no it's just a plot hole you know it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't make sense when you think about it and i like thinking about the story Um, that kind and, of filmmaking is very present in something like The Green Knight, which we haven't talked about yet on this podcast, so I don't want to go too much into it. But like, <laughs> That's a thing where like, there's a lot not kind of told to you, and the way the movie is structured makes that feel okay, Where, yeah. at least in my opinion. Whereas I think this movie, the structure does not support that level of sort of not telling you a thing. It makes totally it feel agree. weird. I um, totally agree. Yeah. And then I think it's the same thing where it's the – that idea that they don't actually know what they're talking about is what happens when you talk about a bit like big things like the meaning of life, uh, the meaning of art, the meaning of creativity, how to live a good life, how to live an authentic life. And that's what happens when you talk about those big things in cliches without specificity, without detail. And that's what the men in this movie do. 
I, I think I just just to, to maybe not to counterpoint, but I, I think to say I think the pedigree of where this film is coming from in terms of what we would think that a that a film from an aging act, action star like Nicolas Cage would represent, given that one of the highest grossing franchises in this particular world would be John Wick, um, that that the, 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 res- the critical response to this might have something to do with what our understanding or expectation of something like this would be um, in, in any other circle. And again, that, 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 that decision, that choice that this film makes to kind of avoid that um, almost entirely, um, I think is what um, not necessarily makes it unique, but makes it surprising. But is that the film doing that or is that Nicolas Cage doing that as choosing to take the role in this film? Do you know what I mean? But I think that's a, that's a smart piece of casting. And I think and I think the the thing that you you were just talk, kind of talking about in terms of uh, specificity, I think I think you're right, which is that the specificity of the world that this film inhabits is cooking and Portland. And the specificity there gets muddled very, very poorly and gets weird. And its flights of fancy are so uh, don't fly to the heights, uh, fly high enough to the heights where we accept that it is a world of fantasy and are so, you know, like so grounded in some some parts of reality that that we're sort of unsure of like where this is meant to, what these metaphors, well, not even metaphors, but what these worlds are supposed to be. But I think the overall tableau of the world does work for me which is that what it really is is a story about grief and sadness and and how we deal with that grief and sadness and and the choices we make to live in that you know like whether we um whether we try to regain some sense of self or whether we retreat back into the worlds that we have kind of created for ourselves and i think in that respect it it actually does work for me and it does feel authentic and it does kind of ring true and and that's the part that i'm kind of like you know like again if we were talking about a restaurant food where it'd be like yeah you know like the entree was a little weird and the main kind of didn't quite get there but man that dessert was so good that i'm kind of like willing to give this you know like i'm I'm kind of willing to give this another give this another round you just did the empty calorie scenario what with this like, movie <laughs> like the, the dessert was so no well the dessert being as important part of, as important a part of the meal as the entree sure. and the man sure um, yeah, and and I think the dessert in this is this idea that it's not. I mean, it's a it's a sort of flawed movie about cooking. It's a flawed movie about Portland, but it's a very good movie about grief. It's so uh, I, I, I'm glad you got that out of it. I don't yeah. think it is a good movie about grief. It shows grief. It shows a man grieving. But, like, I learned absolutely nothing else about the experience of grief. Not that every movie is going to do this, but, like, great ones do. And, like, I... I, I, th- I think it was a great performance of grief. Yeah. I I think I think this is... I uh, think, like, Nicolas Cage performed grief mm. very, very well. Like, the heaviness that he's living with mm. in, in the way that his body moves on camera and the way that he speaks... Um, was infused infused with that grief and I think the the atmosphere of the movie like I said it's very blue like yeah. is very sad and heavy um but I had a really hard time connecting mm. to the actual grief because I did not know anything about anything and the only, and the only grief I connected with in this movie was the concept of losing a pet 
<laughs> but like that that literally is in every movie that ever has any animal sort of harmed well, or taken away. Well, the pig is pretty distressing. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And, and and I think I but but I guess that's what I'm you you are absolutely correct, which is that the it even, you know, piddles in the same sort of dead wife trope and, and, and that being a motivation for the male character kind of thing. And, and that is absolutely true in this movie. I think what I just I, I am also still responding to is maybe maybe the way to phrase it is perhaps. I still think it's very, very good. Great might have been an overreach, but I also think that it's authentic. Like, and that's what I—that's what I feel like. I, I do feel that they are authentically giving time and space to the idea of this character dealing with grief and having to engage in it, and then choosing to engage with it in interesting ways. Uh, and I—and I do respond to that. And I did find, you know. Bruce Springsteen, you know, like as sung by his wife, his dead wife on a cassette tape was strangely affecting for me uh, and and did work. And, you know, that, yeah, uh, maybe I'm a sucker for um, male revenge fantasies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think, again, I think, the, I, I, uh, Hillary, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think this movie gives space to let Nicolas Cage portray grief like mm. a ton. And he does it great. And again, I did have an emotion. This will be my sort of final thought where I feel like we're circling at this point. And again, this is not to convince anybody to not like this movie. If anything, (laughs) this is what I'm going to say. You should go see it because apparently there's a lot of disparate opinions on this thing. And that will make it even more interesting when discussing it with other people, as I hope this has been for all of you. Um, This is my whole thing. This is an extremely engaging movie to think about and talk about yeah yeah come flood the zone with me <laughs> yeah. talk to me well there we go hey. <laughs> and, but, and, but not all for the the right reasons it's not because it's it's a it's a home run and it's not because it's like disastrously bad it's sort of this weird ground of great and terrible and you can in yeah, equal parts. And you can debate all the different parts <laughs> all different ways based on your own individual perception it, it's a it's a rich film to mind discussion from there we yeah. go yes. hey, but i like that i yeah, like that yeah uh, this has been the only podcast about the film Pig. Uh, Hillary, thank you so much for coming on and and chatting with us about uh, all things uh, 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 pig pig like and uh, food cinema as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'll uh, be back for Pig Two, Pig in the City. <laughs> <laughs> that we should do, babe. We should do Babe. That is one of the greatest movies ever made. It, babe is very very good. I'm not sure uh, about Babe Two, Pig in the City. At one point, does he does the pig? wear like a leather outfit in that movie let's just pretend (laughs) like we know the answer uh (laughs) hillary where can folks find you and all of the good works that you do um you can head to eater.com to read my writing i am also on twitter and on instagram my twitter handle is at hillary dixler my instagram handle is at hillary dixler canavan there we go very creative hey no it gets people to the right spot uh shahir when you are not conjuring memory through the act of the most literal and figurative perfect french toast where can folks find you you can find me drying out my bread so that it is absolutely stale at least three days old before you cook it by the way pumpkin bread is what i found to be a delicious (laughs) a delicious ingredient for french toast uh at my website www.shahirdad.com that's s-h-a-h-i-r-d-a-u-d.com matt when you are um mourning the potential loss of a pit that hasn't happened 
because you love your cat and we will protect it at all costs. Uh, where can people find you? You can find me praising your good save over at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Yes, all of those are different and not my name. I didn't do this right, Hillary, and I'm sorry. Um, also, please check out the good works we are doing over at Extra Credits. I believe by the time this airs, our History of Coffee series will be out. It is so much fun. It was one of my absolute favorite things. You can actually find hidden in there my favorite coffee shop. Uh, well, one of them. My favorite local coffee shop uh, has a sort of shout out in there, as well as we just is finished. Is it Infinity? No, it is not. That's a tea. That's not a, I wouldn't, I, well, they do do well, coffee. They, they do too. excellent coffee. They do right? excellent coffee. They have excellent bubble tea. Um, <laughs> But no, and then we're also doing, uh, we just wrapped up our Vlad the Impaler series, uh, who also, apparently, rumor has it, did soak bread in blood. So maybe there's a way to the perfect French toast. I don't know, but that also could be a rumor spread by the Germans. We don't actually know. Anyway, uh, next week, Shahir, are we going full-blown, are we, are we doing the green light? Are we doing the green, the green light night? for the green night? The green light for the green light. I think we have got the green light for the green night, okay. which is now available on VOD. So if you have, if you are listening to this episode, you can get that movie. Where there was a little bit of a, a little bit of a hustle to get that movie last week, but that turns out not to be the case anymore. That VOD might be very short. By the time this comes out, it might actually not be available anymore. Really? I, I read okay. like a thing like it was going to be like an extended weekend or something, but who knows? I guarantee you, like in a week, it's going to be. Ba- they're kind of playing with it. They're doing a little cat and mouse. But uh, yeah, we'll be talking about that. Uh, until then, thank you so much for lending us your ears. Uh, and I hope, I hope tonight or this morning or the evening or whatever, you all just have something really tasty. I feel like after this discussion, we've all earned it. And, uh, I, I don't know what mine will be, but it will probably have ice cream with it. So there we go. It's always a good time for French toast and bananas if you ask me. There we go. Hillary, thank you again. Thanks for having me. And, uh, we'll talk to y'all next week. Bye. Bye everyone. Bye.